Oh, hi, it's October 12th. I'm Ezra Levant, and you're watching Battleground. Hello, if it's Friday, it's Battleground. That is the one day I try to be in the chair at 12 noon Eastern Time, 5 p.m. UK time, to talk about some of the stories of the day that uh, didn't fit into my nightly show, which is at 8 p.m. Eastern, and uh, most importantly, to take your questions, comments, things of that sort. Uh, it's called a super chat. That's a word invented by YouTube Google. It means uh, in addition to your regular comments, which stream on the side of the page there, if you chip in a couple of bucks, your comment is put in a bold highlight. And if you chip in like five bucks or something, it's appended to the top of that box for all to see for a period of time. And the reason it's so great for independent producers like us is that we get, I think, something like 70% of the dough, so it's actually a great revenue source given the great political demonetization of YouTube. So if uh, you have anything you want me to say out of the corner of my eye, I notice if it's in a bright highlighted color and I read it therefrom. Um, today, besides the, your questions, ask me anything kind of stuff, I am going to uh, talk about uh, the latest campaign by our former reporter, Tommy Robinson, with whom we have had a, um, actually, a, a reconnection uh, since his uh, illegal arrest, prosecution, conviction, and sentencing on May 25th. And I call it illegal, not because I deny the authority of the police or the state, but rather because the Court of Appeal itself said that entire process, the entire handling, was so flawed in law that he quashed it, threw it out, and frankly tore a strip off the trial judge. It's not me who said it was illegal, it's the Lord Chief Justice of the United Kingdom himself. Um, <clears throat> well, let me tell you what happened. Just this week, of course, Tommy was in prison from May 25th until August 1st, when the Court of Appeal finally issued its ruling. Tommy was uh, in terrible health. He had lost 40 pounds in prison, that's what the Brits called three stone, uh, because they were essentially starving him and not allowing him to buy his own food with his own money. They said, no, you must eat food prepared by the Muslim prison gang and marked Tommy Robinson and hand delivered to your solitary confinement cell. You must do that. Well, Tommy's no fool. He knew that he would be poisoned. And of course, the, the Muslim gang inmates would say, oi mate, how's your lunch? So he knew that they, what they were doing. Everyone knew what they were doing, but the prison warden would not let Tommy buy more than one can of tuna a day. Um, no vitamins, no medical attention whatsoever. He lost 40 pounds in 10 weeks. Uh, he's still recovering in some ways, but um, I, think he, I think he's getting his old brio back. And uh, I chat with him actually almost every day now. I've, uh, he's not working for us. He's still independent. But uh, as you know, we've helped with the crowdfunding and whatnot. And I want to talk about uh, two things about Tommy, and then I'm going to go to the questions. But the first is his new campaign, because Tommy's out and about now. He's doing his thing. Um, when he worked for us, that I was stressed all the time. What are you doing? Are you staying safe? Are you staying out of physical danger? Are you staying out of legal danger? I have those same concerns now, but uh, he's not our employees, so I'm a little bit calmer about things. I'm not his boss. I don't want to be his boss, and, and uh, we'll help him on certain projects. Anyhow, but I am in touch with him, and he's out and about. He's tootling around the country. He loves driving. 
Tommy hates to be in the studio, hates to be in one place. He gets out on the road and he goes to meet people. And the United Kingdom is not an enormous country like Canada or even the United States. It's, it's smallish. And they actually have remarkably good trains. It's about the only country whose trains, I think, are, well, some in Europe too. Uh, Tommy drives. So he's on the highway and he pulled over at a rest stop, what they call a service station, we call it a gas station. <coughs> and uh, it was like a truck stop. They had gas stations and they had uh, you know, fast food restaurants. And pulled over at the same truck stop were four buses, coaches as they say in the UK, full of young British soldiers. Now I'm not 100% sure if they're, I don't think they're cadets. I think they're, they're soldiers, but they're still in training. I'm not quite sure. I know that some of them are as young as, as their teens. I know for a fact one of them was 17. Uh, so these aren't seasoned vets, but they're still young and, and they got that boisterous energy and the camaraderie and they're still getting used to the army. And then they are at a truck stop and they see Tommy and Tommy sees them. And as you know, maybe you could throw up some B-roll of help knocks. Um, as you know, Tommy loves the military. He hasn't served himself, but um, he's a patriot and a loyalist. And, and over the years, he's helped the military in a lot of ways. I don't know if you remember. But when he was with us, we had this campaign called Help Knox, K-N-O-X, where a, I think it was a Navy vet in that case, had a disease that sort of wasted away his, his legs. I don't think it was a, a war wound. I think it was just a uh, debilitating illness of some sort. And uh, the military would not give him a proper wheelchair. I mean, this guy was a real physical man, a real sportsman. And um, they just gave him like a little crummy wheelchair and he wanted to be active and he wanted to be out and about. So Tommy, with us, put it up anytime you find it, guys, um, crowdfunded a super all-terrain wheelchair for this vet. Look at that. And you, now it doesn't look like much there, but let me tell you, that thing goes over stairs, it goes on beaches, it goes in, in rugged terrain. I, I know it doesn't look like much. Let me tell you, uh, that was, if memory serves, 18,000 pounds. Like, look at it, look at it go over the curb. Okay, it's not, it, it, it's not a true battle test of the vehicle here, but. So to, look at Tommy crowdfunded that. I think it was 18,000 pounds, which is like 25 grand or something. So, that, so Tommy loves the troops. And so the troops love Tommy. And so they, you know, even if they don't know that much about him, even if they don't know their politics that much, they either know him because he loves the troops, or they know him because he's a YouTube star, whatever. These are 17 years old kids. They're not, you know, they're not deeply political grown-ups. So they either know him because he, he, he likes them, and he supports troops, they know him from YouTube. And so they just, they're outside the sandwich shop or whatever, the gas station, and they post from some selfies. It's no big deal. Here, take a look at how that looked. There's a photo. Can we get the video, please? So Tommy, uh, obviously that was a selfie there, but uh, there's this great little video. Go ahead. The most honorable morning I've ever had, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Class, eh? Makes it all worth it. An honour. There you go. So, as you can see, they're just—they're eating. They literally have sandwiches in their hands. They got some selfies. 
they, they do the Tommy chant, no big deal, some Instagram photos, some Facebook photos, and that's it. There was no politicking, there was no campaigning, there was no ideology, there was nothing other than Tommy saying, I salute you, I'm, and as he joked there, the most honorable day of my life. That's his form of praise for them, and um, no big deal. Well, not really. Can we get the Muslim Council of Britain tweet on this subject? The Muslim Council of Britain is exactly what it sounds like. It's a political pressure group for Muslims, but not of the progressive variety, of the Islamist variety. They themselves have condemned the British Armed Forces, in particular the Navy, saying that it was a legitimate target for attack because of its treatment of Hamas in Gaza. This same Muslim Council of Britain until very recently did not recognize Holocaust Memorial Day or whatever. They, I'm not sure if it's because they don't actually believe the Holocaust exists or, or believe it exists but thought it was a good thing. I don't know, but until very recently, they, they refused to even acknowledge the day. Like these folks are not in the mainstream, or actually terrifyingly, they sort of are becoming the mainstream in the UK, at least in the Labour Party. So these aren't exactly folks coming with clean hands, as they say. But the Muslim Council of Britain, um, another Islamic group called Tel Mama UK, they pounced on this Instagram video and these Facebook pages, and they made a loud public complaint to the British Army that this was extremism and discrimination. You, you saw the video of Tommy with the young lads having a sandwich, they were chanting, who was discriminated against and by whom? They're lads having a selfie. What was the extremism other than extremely friendly guys? But the Muslim Council of Britain and Tell Mama UK, which is an anti-Islamophobia attack group, they said that the British Army had better jump and the British Army said how high. And so the commanding officers of those young lads seized their personal cell phones, compelled the young troops to give the passwords, and their phones were searched for contraband. What? Contraband what? Like, uh, are they spying for the Russians? <laughs> no. Contraband means you were standing next to and smiling with Tommy Robinson. And that has led to the pending discharge of at least one soldier, a soldier that we are calling Soldier X. Now Tommy's done two things, and I'm going to show both of these websites, production team. So the first is he set up a petition at StandWithOurLads.com. And StandWithOurLads.com, that's how the British say young people, lads. Um, last I checked, uh, about half an hour ago, 153,000 people, scroll down on the page, 153,000 people signed the petition. 153,000 in, in what, two days? Just incredible. There's a petition there, you can sign it if you haven't yet. I think that's amazing. By the way, we've done petitions before, this is the largest petition we've ever done in our three and a half years. Um, People are mad. They're mad that these are British lads who would risk their very lives for the freedoms of Britain and are treated so shoddily by the brass. 
And I have evidence that I will not use today because it would reveal a soldier. But we have evidence that this is being directed not only at the general level, so not the local level, but that there is direct interference by the Ministry of Defense. This goes right up to the political cabinet of Theresa May's cabinet. That's a fact. Uh, I just don't want to release the evidence because I don't want to get a kid kicked out of the army. Um, so what, so, and we're not even naming uh, the 17 year old kid who's being discharged. Sky News did a hit piece on him. Someone in the military leaked a lie saying he's been a discipline problem. That is absolutely not true. That is absolutely not true. It's just the press working with the authorities to marginalize Tommy Robinson. But a funny thing happened. When you get 150,000 people signing a petition in a couple days, you've really struck a nerve, obviously. I think it was both the push and the pull. I think it was the fact that the British military brass were being so punitive towards some young lads who were doing nothing other than having a cheers, not even having a cheers, excuse me, having a selfie with Tommy Robinson, a YouTube star. So it was that, but it was also the other side. They were re revolted by the Muslim Council of Britain pushing the army around. So Tommy set up another hashtag called I am Soldier X. It's sort of like Spartacus. Who's Spartacus? I'm Spartacus. I'm Spartacus. You know that movement, movie, Spartacus, where everyone claimed they were Spartacus because you can't take us all down. Well, that's the theme for um, I am Soldier X. And if we can go to I am Soldier so you can see the hashtag here, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people tweeting I am Soldier X. And if you can go to our Instagram page, we've compiled these videos, sorry, these, these self, so these are, if you have an I Am Soldier X image that you would like us to put up, go to IamSoldierX.com or email it to us at soldier at the rebel.media. So these are all grassroots submissions. As you can see, some of them Soldiers are blocking their faces. Some of them, like go a little bit further, you can see a bunch of soldiers with their faces blotted out. So how many British soldiers are they going to actually sack? Five, 10? There were 100, approximately, who were there at the truck stop with Tommy, you're gonna, you're gonna really kick all 100 of them out of the army. How about all these folks doing I Am Soldier X? You're gonna kick them all out too? You're gonna, you're gonna seize every single cell phone in the British Army and check for uh, selfies? What are you gonna do? You know, I, I mentioned on Twitter the other day when I first saw that the Muslim Council of Britain was involved, and they were really going after these kids, I thought, a Taliban terrorist might take out five British soldiers, God forbid. I bet this Muslim Council of Britain, without violence, but through political pressure, will get five, 10, 20, 100 British troops off the, off the field of battle. 
That's my, that's my prophecy. Not through violence. I'm not saying they're going to kill them or shoot them. But through political interference, the Muslim Council of Britain will achieve what 10 Taliban terrorist attacks could not do, which is to not only remove actual British soldiers from the army, but to demoralize those that remain. What do you think? And by the way, I understand that the British Army is having a challenge recruiting. And I don't think it's unrelated. Because the British Army was the last place where you could be a British patriot. It's the last place where a working class Brit, and they really had the class system over there, it was the last place where a working class Brit would be culturally and aesthetically and rhetorically and physically at home. Not all the posh toffs and the lovies sneering at you. This is a place for real men, folks who maybe are a bit more rough-hewn, maybe don't have the Oxfordshire accent, can go and be patriotic Brits and fly the flag and actually fight for the Queen, shoot some guns, save the day, come back, patriotic, maybe even be a hero. There is still a little bit of that left, and probably the last best place for it is in the British Army. Not so much anymore. I want to show you an ad. This is a recruitment ad. So the British Army, from what I understand, and you correct me if I'm wrong, we got a lot of UK readers, UK viewers. I understand that recruitment is down. It's hard to get people to join a politically correct army. That sort of is the opposite of an army. An army is about killing bad guys and projecting such strength that bad guys won't even present. It's not about affirmative action or you know, gender quotas or transgenderism or any Islamification, any of the politically correct fashions. That's got nothing to do with the essential question for an army. Can you kill the bad guys and protect your own side? And so the more these collateral social uh, goals are fused onto what ought to be merely, merely a military goal. And by the way, is there an army? that has the same tradition as the British Army. I mean, the American Army has a great history, but America is only 200 and f not even 250 years old. Canada, 151 years old. But the British Army and the British Navy, the British Navy, the rule of the seas, the British Navy from Lord Nelson, from the Spanish Armada, from Queen Elizabeth I, that British Navy, you've got centuries. You've got You've got, half a you've got more than half a millennium of history, and now you're telling lads not to be lads. Well, how are they going to make up the gap? If you're not allowed to be a, a Tommy Robinson supporter, if you're not allowed to bleed red, if you're not allowed to like red, white, and blue, if you're not allowed to like football, as they call soccer over there, if you're not allowed to like the odd beer or rum in the Navy, if you're not allowed to be a Brit, how are they going to fill it up? Well, here's, uh, here's a recruitment ad. You tell me. Hey, <laughs>
That's a real ad. That's the British Army's recruitment ad. So you're on patrol. I don't know if that was an exercise or if that, I mean, that's, that's obviously a created um, video. That's not real life. That was, that was staged. Um, is that supposed to be in Afghanistan? Is that supposed to be somewhere in the Highlands, somewhere? I don't know my British geography well enough. Uh, was that a um, training exercise or was that a real patrol? Either way, apparently, this war fighting machine will just stop five times a day. And you saw that one moment, my, my favorite, least favorite moment, was when, I don't know, some commander was on the phone, squawk box, blah, 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 oh, shh, no, shh, stop. Tell the general he has to wait. Shh. We're in prayers. Which prayer? Well, I don't know, it's five times a day, but we all got to stop. We got to stop, we can take off our boots. You take off our helmet. We're just going to be a while. Sorry, we're taking, we've got to stop the march, guys. Because we've got to take off the boots. We've got to take off the helmet. We've got to do a little praying. Shh, tell the general. We'll get back to the general. He, hey, are you some sort of bigot, general? You're, you're saying the Taliban's around the hill? I'm sure they'll pause and wait for the British Army to finish the prayers. That is a real... That is a, oh, I see someone here saying that was Scotland or Wales. Look, I don't know. Look, I don't know my British geography. I have not actually been further north than Newcastle. Maybe Tommy, I've been in Manchester, I've been in Newcastle, I've been to uh, Sunderland, but I have not been further north, and I would like to. I would like to go to Scotland very much. Uh, about a month ago, we had uh, Count Dankula on that accent. Every North American loves that accent. And I credit Mike Myers for some of that, by the way. Uh, I'm joking around, but uh, I'm just telling you what's going on in the UK. If you haven't signed the petition yet, go now to it. I'm just going to check what the count is. Um, our site was down. I don't know if it was hacked or a denial of service attack, but I'm checking right now. 154,624. And remember, that's different people. So that probably represents a quarter million households. That is a significant, significant number, don't you think? Um, that's amazing. British people, and I think there's probably some foreigners who have signed that too think that the British government is being disproportionate and they're the ones who are being bigoted and closed-minded. You know, I was talking to um, a Brit yesterday who just came back from Burma where his father fought. And I, I, I didn't get into all of it, but he was sort of doing a pilgrimage to where his dad, I think his dad, uh, some of the World War II, and, like the Brits have been all over the world, right? The British Empire, you know the saying, the sun never sat on the British Empire. And there were Brits in Asia who were fighting there, but it wasn't just indigenous Brits. It was people from the Commonwealth, from the Empire, from the colonies. I don't need to tell you how famous the Gurkhas are. Do you know what I'm talking about? The Gurkhas. Can you just Google Gurkha? And I also want to show Queen Victoria's personal staff who were Sikh, I think. Or maybe they're Muslim. I don't know. Can we show people Gurkhas? Um, you know, in North America, we might not know what they are. Maybe it sounds like gherkin or something, which is like a pickle. These are, 
um, an ethnicity of some of the most loyal and fierce fighters in the British Army. And you can see this is actually on a British, and scroll down a little bit. The British Army isn't just multiracial. It is multinational in a way. All the former nations of the empire. Um, if you want to see some very interesting uniforms, Google Sikh military uniform, because of course the Brits were in India for centuries, and the Sikhs were sort of a battle class, um, warlike, uh, and they gravitated towards the military historically. And of course, as you may know, Sikhs wear turbans on their heads, so how do you square that? Well, that becomes part of the uniform. And so that's why I am, in North America, in Canada in particular, when there is resistance to a Sikh turban in a military uniform, I understand that because uniform means one form and we don't allow any other religious um, indicia in our uniforms, but can you show, can you just put up for me an image of Sikh, Sikh soldiers in their uniforms? Okay. This isn't bad, but can I get a historical one? Can you Google Sikh uniforms British 19th century or something like that? And just hit the image button. Because I'm talking about, like that was a modern picture and you showed Sikhs, but I want to prove. And it's a, it's, a, it's a painting more than anything. Here, I'll Google it and I'll email it to you. Sikh soldier Britain. And, um, okay, put it on up if you got it. That's exactly the one I meant. Now, that's obviously a painting. That's not a photograph. I'm going to guess that's from around the early 19th century. Those are legit, bona fide British military uniforms. That is not a different country. That is not a different, spe that, that, those are, and there's, there's lots of beautiful pictures like this. Those are legit British uniforms. That's, that is official kit, if I'm using the right phrase. Maybe I'm not. And why am I going on this little tangent about Sikhs in the military? Well, I'll tell you why. Because my friend reminded me of it when he was in Burma. He reminded me that the British Army is the most diverse army in the world. That's a fact. That's a fact. Now, the American Army is very racially diverse. For, for reasons including, there is some affirmative action, but it was a place that was radically egalitarian. They didn't allow, uh, if, if you have a black commanding officer and you are a racist, you shut up. They don't allow, you know, racism is really being drummed out of the hierarchy there. It was an egalitarian place, and economically, it's a way out for people who grow up in a marginalized community with uh, economic dysfunction. Join the army. So I acknowledge that the US Army is very integrated and it's a path of success for many minorities. We all know that. And in Canada too, by the way, Mohawk Indians in particular and other Indian bands have a tradition of joining the military, including Canadian Mohawks joining the US Marines. But can you dispute my claim that the British Army is the most racially and ethnically diverse in the world. Perhaps since Roman times, and for the same reason. 
that the Romans bestrode the earth, and they took soldiers from every country they conquered. And why am I on this tangent? Because my point is this. Do not tell the British Army that they are racist or extreme or discriminatory. Those young lads that were greeting Tommy Robinson don't have a bigoted bone in their body. They fight with people of all races and they fight for people of all races. And you don't need an anti-British pressure group like the Muslim Council of Britain to cast aspersions on them. It's Muslim Council of Britain that's extreme and divisive. Would you not agree? And don't tell me the lily white toffs at the Guardian and other snooty snobs looking down their noses as these working class British soldiers. Don't tell me that the editorial suite of the Guardian is more mixed race than the British Army. Don't tell me that because I know it's not true. Whether it's a Gurkha or a Sikh or yes, even Muslim soldiers, although I regret, and maybe you could find the Times article of this, Alex, that I regret that three times as many British Muslims signed up to fight with ISIS as signed up to fight in the British Army. If you find that headline, it's a Times story. There's other stories. Put it up on the screen so people know I'm speaking with authority on that. But the Sikhs and the British Army have centuries of partnership. The Sikhs are as much the British Army and the Gurkhas are as much the British Army as those indigenous Brits that we showed you moments ago. Yeah, look at this. Hundreds more UK Muslims choose jihad than army. Scroll down a little bit. More than twice as many British Muslims have traveled to Syria and Iraq to wage jihad than have joined the British military over the past few years. The difference could be even greater after it was claimed last night that the number of Britons to have fought with the Islamic State, ISIS, and other extremist groups in the region was much higher than the 400 to 500 identified by police. One MP said that more than 1,500 British militants had joined the fight to create a caliphate, while a leading figure in the Muslim community put the figure at between 600 and 1,000. About 560 Muslims serve in the British Army. I'm sorry, uh, as Ben Shapiro would say, or Gavin McInnes would say, or Greg Gutfeld would say, those are hate facts, but they're facts. But don't tell the British Army they're racist. The British Army has in its blood racial diversity because that's what happens when you have an empire based on meritocracy. And by the way, don't make me read the poem Gunga Din at you. And I know Rudyard Kipling is regarded as a racist, but his deep respect, Rudyard Kipling, if I'm not mistaken, born in India, or maybe he was born in, in the UK and moved to India, was a, an orientalist when that word was positive. He loved India. He wrote the Jungle Book, if you're wondering who I'm talking about. Who wrote the Jungle Book? That great story with those words like Baloo and Bagheera and Ka and Mowgli. That's Rudyard Kipling. That's Rudyard Kipling, the greatest British chauvinist there ever was, who also wrote a poem called White Man's Burden, which is regarded as horrifically racist these days. But if you see, if you read it with understanding what he was talking about, he said it's Britain's burden to go and bring the rule of law and the Decalogue, which is what he called the Ten Commandments to the world, and the rule of law and civilization and bureaucracy and democracy. What is the greatest gift the Brits gave India? I put it to you, democracy and rule of law. Compare India, the gift that Brits gave India. Compare India 
with China. Why is India the long bet, the long play? Because it has, despite its flaws and its corruption and its poverty, it has the rule of law, it has a democracy, it has independent courts, it has a civil service, it has the legacy of hundreds of years of Britain there. And uh, of course there were some shortcomings in colonialism. Look in the Middle East. What country did better? Jordan, which was under British rule, or Syria, which was under the French? Look in Africa, where the French colonies were versus the Brits. And I'm not here to say that empire and colonialism was an unvarnished good. Of course there was good and bad. But I put it to you that the places that had the most exposure to British traditions of law and governance and the Magna Carta are the best former colonies today. Would you agree? All right. You can tell I'm a son of the Commonwealth myself, being a Canadian. By the way, they don't teach this stuff in government schools in Canada. I, I bet they don't teach it in the UK. Can you Google this? I saw Jeremy Corbyn, Corbyn just the other day says he wants to teach colonialism in British schools, but he doesn't mean it like I'm talking about it. He means it in a negative way. Just give me any headline or tweet on that. The history of the British Empire is the history of capitalism and rule of law and commerce. It's the history of ending, ending piracy. It's the history of ending the slave trade. Who ended the slave trade? Oh, let me read this. Schools should educate children about colonialism and the legacy of the slave trade, says Jeremy Corbyn. Black history is British history, the labor leader said. Let me just read a little more. Schools should teach children about colonialism, slavery, and the legacy of British empire and give greater weight to the immense contribution black Britons have made. Uh, Jeremy Corbyn will say the labor leader will visit blah, blah, blah. Of course, black Britons have made enormous countries, of course. But he means to emphasize the negative. Call up Amazing Grace. Just give me a B-roll of that movie. You know Amazing Grace? You know what I'm talking about? It's a hymn. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. I think uh, sweet, uh, saved a soul like me. I, I, I obviously don't have my own words. That was written, that song, by a slaver who repented because of his British... Yeah, it's a movie called Amazing Grace. And just play me... Yeah. So, yeah, of the song that inspired the world, this is just the trade. Put the sound up. I'll be quiet. Play it from the start with the sound up. Give me, give me a minute of this. This is a movie about the British Empire ending slavery. Go ahead. Sound up. Amazing grace, how sweet. What do you want with your old preacher? I'm here to seek your advice. Like me. Are you contemplating a life of solitude? People like you too much besides. Wilbur, you have work to do. But now I see. No one of our age has ever taken power. Which is why we're too young to realize that certain things are impossible. You're what? the best fighter in the house and the best speaker. Where does this little terrier spring from? I believe he's a Yorkshire terrier, my lord. One man will risk everything. Payment in kind. There's nothing you have I'd want, Your Grace. He'd fetch at least 25 guineas. The game is over. To speak for those who could not say to this, to let you know that you no longer belong to God, but to a man. To make 
the blind see. We have no evidence that the Africans themselves have any objection to the trade. And to lead a movement that would change the world. Do it. Throw that dirty, filthy ships out of the water. Slave trade has 300 MPs in its pocket. It would be just you against them. If we were to outlaw the trade tomorrow, it would bring financial disaster. His enemy is my enemy. The will before the rebel. No matter how loud you shout, you will not drown out the voice of the people! People! You still have passion. That matters more. In Africa, I was a prince. In many ways, not unlike you. I'm going to try again. As your prime minister, I urge caution. And as my friend, not to hell with caution. Remember, God made men equal. Yes, you did. Now at last it's true. Amazing Grace. That's a movie, a dramatization, but historically accurate. It was the British Navy that first banned the slave trade and then banned slavery itself. The British Navy, and I acknowledge, of course, the American Civil War was also fought in part over slavery and that hundreds of thousands of Americans died for that. But predating that by decades was that same British Navy that I spoke about earlier. So don't tell me that Britain has a history of racist colonialism unless in the very next breath you say that while every continent in the world had slavery, including here in North America, Google Haida and slavery. Fellas, I'm not talking to you, I'm talking to our viewers. If you think there's no, there was no slavery, oh, fellas, Google this, apocalypto, apocalypto. Give me the moment where they're sacrificing the bodies in uh, Chichen Itza. Think about it, friends. Every single continent on the earth had slaves. Whether it's the pharaohs in Egypt, whether it's slavery in Saudi Arabia today, whether it was slavers, Muslim slavers raiding Ireland, whether it was slavery, yeah, put, the clip, put a B-roll up for now, I'll tell you if I want sound up. Whether it's the slavery of the Haida Indians or this, amazing film by Mel Gibson called Apocalypto about not just the slavery but the human sacrifice I don't know if this is the Aztec or the Maya I get can I get mixed up have you seen this movie guys and by guys I mean you are my viewers this is an incredible movie it's it's produced and directed by Mel Gibson not a word of English in the whole movie. It's all in dead language. No n fancy actors. And it was about life in Mesoamerica in 1491. And the death cult. This is worse than slavery because they would sacrifice. 
countless souls, mighty kukulkan. I don't want to show the, the grossness here, but they would cut out the beating heart. These are the prisoners. These are the slaves. You see them, they're painted in blue. Let us appease you to exalt you. They would put them there. Before we get to the, yeah, thanks for cutting off there. That's a hell of a movie, by the way. It's called Apocalypto. Besides being visually gorgeous, it's very powerful. There's a, there's a great story in it. It's a love story also. Amazing drama and action. How do you have action movies before the age of the car? Mel Gibson knows how. That's a hell of a movie. Why am I on this tangent? My point is there was slavery in every continent in the world. But who fought to end it? Did the movement to end slavery, especially racial slavery, did that movement come from Africa? Did that movement come from Asia? Did that movement, where did it come from? It came from William Wilberforce in the parliament in Westminster. That's where it came from. And those same abolitionist ideas took root in America. Every continent had slavery. Tell me someone else other than the Brits and the Americans who shed blood to stop it. Tell that to Jeremy Corbyn. And tell that to the liars and defamers and slanderers and calumniators who have aimed their verbal missiles, verbal missiles, at those young British lads. Call up the Tommy Instagram video again. Don't tell me that these young men, the inheritors of Nelson, the inheritors of Churchill, who fought in five wars, by the way. Did you know that? Can you name them? South Africa, Boer War, Sudan, World War I, World War II, and India. I guess there was no war in India. Churchill fought in five different campaigns. Play the clip of Tommy. The most honourable morning I've ever had, anyway. <laughs> 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 Class, eh? Makes it all worth it. An honour. An honor. And he's telling the truth. You know, while we're talking about British movies and British Navy, call up the B-roll, I won't... Uh, I'm talking about Master and Commander. That's a hell of a movie. That's a hell of a movie. Russell Crowe. I think it wasn't Benedict Cumberbatch, it was someone else in that one. How can you be a Brit and not love the Navy? If you're interested in anything naval, anything military, just slap up the, the, the trailer when you get it. It's called Master and Commander on the Far Side of the World. Based on the series of novels about that great cinematography, great storytelling, great acting, great everything. All right, I'll put it up when you find it. But, um, yeah, go ahead, thank you. To disparage the British Navy, which not only conquered the world, but saved the world. And yes, it colonized the world, but it civilized the world. And I'm sorry if you don't like that word, but it's true. 
it wasn't the Chinese Navy, it wasn't the Russian Navy, it wasn't the French Navy, it wasn't the Spanish Navy, it wasn't the Dutch Navy, it wasn't the Belgian Navy, it wasn't the Portuguese Navy that ended black slavery. It was the British Navy. This scene from Master and Commander is set in the Napoleonic era about 200 years ago, so they were fighting the French. There's a great little scene in this movie where he's inspiring his sailors before they fight a, a French ship, and he says, do you want to see the guillotine in Trafalgar Square, he says. And I thought about that. That was what he said to stir the sailors, to stir his troops, the Marines on the boat too. And I thought, you know, we all think of the guillotine. Like, we know what a guillotine is, right? It's a, thanks for the view all that stuff. Just put up a picture of a guillotine in case someone doesn't know what it is. It's a head-cutting machine. It, it, it chops off the head and they just slap up any image of a guillotine. But it became synonymous with the French Revolution. I don't know if it was invented just for the French Revolution. But right in the, right in the heart of Paris, they would have, you would ratchet up this, massive blade that was extremely heavy. Yeah, that's it. And they would lie down the victim and pull the rope and it would drop the blade with its own weight and it would slice off the head and fall into the basket. And I suppose it's, I just told you about the slavery and human sacrifice of the Aztecs, didn't I? I showed you that remarkable film by Mel Gibson called Apocalypto. Well, and, and I, I'll, I'll tell you the spoiler in Apocalypto. Why would Mel Gibson make that movie? Because he's trying to show the, the satanic nature of the evil culture that was met by the Christian conquistadors. And it's true. And so the, the, the motivational moment in Master Commanders when the character of Russell Crowe says, would you like a guillotine in Trafalgar Square? Imagine how barbaric that was. Imagine how barbaric the French Revolution was, that they would cut off heads of people alive in baskets and have an assembly line of people going through. The barbarity of that. So not only did the British save themselves, but they saved the world, they saved the world again in D-Day with the Americans and the Canadians. I guess what I'm saying, anyone who takes a swipe at the British military and the British Navy is probably, I mean, listen, the Americans, especially in the last 70 years since World War II, have eclipsed the British military in scale and scope and breadth. And I'd even say in terms of Charitable work, if there's a, no matter where it is around the world, if there's a disaster or a tragedy, the American Navy's there. America has more military bases around the world than all other countries combined. Expeditionary bases. Um, America has military bases that it has kept since the Second World War in Germany. America has military bases in Korea since the 50s. America, I mean, it's almost like when America sets a foot down, it doesn't move ever. It's still in Guantanamo Bay. That's more than a century. So, of course, I tip my hat to America, and I love America. But you cannot speak about noble naval forces without speaking about the Royal Navy. You can't. You can't. They are the epitome of it. And that movie, 
uh, Amazing Grace talks about that. It's 12.48. I don't know if there's been any super chats. I haven't even been looking out of the corner of my eye. Have I missed any super chats? No. All right, so that's my 48-minute rant on um, the destruction of the British Army. I talked a lot about the Navy, too, just because I think it's important. What do you think? I'm going to read some comments now. Um, I'm just going to read. I'm just going to pick. If you, want me to, if you want me to read your comment, chip in a few quid, a few bucks, a few pesos, whatever. Oh, there's one right there. Yannick Elliott, why is Rebel Media complacent in the media blackout of Faith Goldie's mayoral campaign? Well, I get asked this every week, and my answer is the same. Uh, is well, similar. The reasons we fired Faith Goldie a year ago persist today. And um, I've had some uh, private conversations with Faith, Faith recently, and they were unsuccessful at resolving the matter. We fired Faith because she went on a neo-Nazi podcast on the Daily Stormer. And she went not to interview them in an objective sense, which would be strange, but perhaps journalistically acceptable. But she went on as a friend, an ally. I salute you. God bless you. You're patriots. I'd love to come back for two hours. She went on an explicitly neo-Nazi show and kept that secret from me. Because she knew, of course, it was unacceptable. And I'm sorry, you can't go on an explicitly neo-Nazi show and commiserate with the Nazis. And that's just, not, that's just outside the boundaries here. So we fire, I fired her the moment. In fact, she said to me, I've got to resign. I know. I said, no, I've got to fire you. And um, you can't just have a one-year bender of racism and then snap your fingers, delete some old tweets, and pretend it never happened. You have to have some sort of a reconciliation, this sort of um, amendment, uh, a reflection on that. You can't just say, whoopsies, can we just pretend the last year of racialism and, and white nationalism didn't happen, and can I just run from there? I love Faith. Uh, she was my favorite employee when she was here. Outstanding, bright, brilliant, beautiful, of course. Um, but I guess there was more than one faith, and I didn't know that. Uh, so, so that's my answer, is that the reasons we sacked her a year ago persist. And um, I would fire her again today. Um, that's a little bit off topic, but I did say that um, if you super chatted me, I would read it, and so I did. And the, uh, let's see if there's anything else here. Slavery has been part of Islam for all of its 1,400 years. USA abolished slavery in less than a century. That's from Valkyrie Sardo. Well, you're very true. I mean, I was talking about slavery. I have met slaves. Did you know that? And uh, maybe you even have too. There's a race called the Yazidis. It's actually a religion in Shinjar. That's their sort of their headquarters, mountain, northern Iraq. Uh, interesting looking people, sometimes they have blue eyes, which is interesting in that part of the world. They were specifically chosen by the Islamic State, because of their blue eyes, I think, that's my theory, to be rape slaves. So the Islamic State expressly, officially, institutionally, said to its young terrorists, if you serve the Islamic State, not only get, do you get to have drugs, 
which is another part of their offering. Not only do you get to kill, but we will actually give you rape slaves and give you our fatwa that it is legitimate and lawful and holy for you to rape them at will. And, and they have the Quranic verses to prove it. Muhammad himself did that. I met a rape slave who was a Yazidi woman who fled to Germany and I spoke to her and she said she lost count of how many times she was raped after 240. So there is slavery today. Today. Blaine Sandberg, have you noticed liberal bias in Wikipedia? I have noticed it. Everybody has noticed it. It is absolutely true. And, um, you know, one of Robert Conquest's rules is any organization that is not explicitly conservative will become liberal over time. And that's true. It'll be colonized. That's, in my view, what happened to Silicon Valley. Um, the kind of people who built Silicon Valley were not particularly political. They're, they weren't even particularly sociable. They were sort of math geeks, um, different part of the brain. And, but they, they were apolitical, so they hired their most loquacious friends. I mean, think about um, Facebook, Zuckerberg's college buddy, uh, what's his name, Chris Hughes, who was chatty and social and verbal. Um, got the gig of being Facebook's first PR guy because Zuckerberg, as you can see, is sort of like a lizard man and a, a semi-autistic guy. So because Zuckerberg and Sergey Brin, who was a, in his own way a refugee from the Soviet Union, his father emigrated from the Soviet Union with him in 1979 when he was a young boy, if anything, they would be right of center. I think if you're a mathematics whiz born in the Soviet Union, you're not a liberal. You're certainly not a leftist. You're a math guy. But over time, if you don't have political wits about you, you will be colonized by the left. And that's my view of what happened to Wikipedia. I don't know, what's his name, Jimmy Wales, the founder of Wikipedia, but it's not important. When you have a, a system, it can be gamed and colonized by the left. And that's happened to Wikipedia, absolutely. And so when conservatives set up their own alternatives or migrate someone else, where, where else that's colonized too. Or if they can't be colonized, uh, let me give you the example of Alex Jones and Infowars, who had, what, 2.5 million followers on YouTube. That is a very big subscriber base. We have barely one million. He was two and a half times bigger. They just shut him down. They didn't just shut him down going forward. They deleted his entire historical library. I think he had more than 10,000. We got 10,000 videos. He had a huge number. They unpersoned him. They, Apple deleted all his podcasts retroactively. So I don't know what he did in 2018, but apparently that made every single thing that Apple approved in 2017, 16, 15, 14, 13, 12, suddenly non-existent, was wiped out. Alex Jones became a rumor. Since they couldn't colonize him, they destroyed him, they unpersoned him, they turned him into a, a myth. Um, Flo Florence, so do you believe what the mainstream media says about Ezra being a right-wing racist? If you're talking about me, uh, I am right-wing, but I'm not a racist. Um, Kite Man Music, is Paul Golding in court today? I don't know. Paul Golding is one of the leaders of, uh, I think it's called Britain First, 
which is a political party, very small political party without, without elected uh, officials in the UK. I don't know enough about them. Uh, I tell you, I got my hands full trying to understand Tommy. Um, let me read some more here. Al D. Bondiga, you people love your sides. All right, I don't know what that means. Um, the dark musket, I am not spending a dome. Okay, I'm trying to find some comments here that make some sense. If you guys want me to read yours, even if it doesn't make sense, we've got about four minutes left. Uh, Al D. Bondiga, turn to Christ, people, before these dirty Jews cause you to stumble. Oh, shut up. Um, Donald Trump, I'm guessing it's not the real Donald Trump, legalized guns, UK. There's something to that, you know. There's something to that. You know, there's enough Americans who have a firearm, or in some cases, 20 firearms, that when they go out and about in life, they submit to authority, they follow the law, they stop for the police, they bend the knee to a court, they submit to a judgment, but if things got absolutely insane, they know they got that panic button, they got guns at home. So there's a little tiny, tiny, tiny germ of an idea called, I am still free, I'm still independent, and the revolutionary spirit could theoretically return. I see another super chat, I'll get that into a second. Um, and I was reminded of this, remember that kid? Alex, do you, do you remember the name of the kid? Um, there was a kid in a British hospital who had a terminal illness and he wanted to go to Italy and the Pope invited him and gave him, he was given some sort of honorary citizenship. He was a kid who was dying, but the British National Health Service, Alfie was the kid. What was his last name? But they wouldn't let him take the kid. The parents said, just let us take our kid. Just let us take our kid to Italy. He's gonna die anyways, just let us take our kid. And the government-run health service there, called the National Health Service, refused to let them take Alfie. They turned off the life support, and his parents like gave him CPR or whatever. Alfie Evans, what a shocking, shocking, sad case. 23-month-old toddler. A week after life support was withdrawn, they said, oh, he's doomed. They, they turned off the machine. His parents kept him alive. It was an American, I forget who, who said, that's why I have guns. Because if some goddamn government bureaucrat told me I'm not allowed to take my kid for a therapy, I would go into that hospital and I would take him and they'd have to kill me to stop me. I can't remember which American pundit said that, but I thought, yes, that's exactly it. Not that that would happen, because it wouldn't happen in America where people had firearms. In the UK, a disarmed and pacified society, oh, well, that's how it is. You know, rules are rules, mate. Oi, bruv, where's your license to take your baby out of here? Where's your license? That's a culture that's been pacified. A few super chats, I'm gonna whip through them in the last minute here. Flat, dark earth. I hate to broach the topic, and I know you two are on good terms, which is great, but what happened to Gavin? Always love Rebel Media. I am on good terms with Gavin. I was in London with him on September 27th, if my date is correct. I encouraged him to come for Tommy's uh, hearing. I sort of bugged him. I said, come on, prove you love Tommy. Come to London with me. So, uh, I mean, I talk with him from time to time. We text or whatever, or phone. Um, I visited him and his family in New York once. 
he works for CRTV, which is a paywalled service, so it's not as visible as it was anymore. But no, I get along fine with him. I just couldn't afford to outbid his new boss, who like tripled his salary. Um, Yannick Elliott, should Faith Goldie be allowed to debate? I think I covered this last week, and everyone wants to talk about Faith, uh, so I'll answer the question because you did chip in a super chat, and I'm grateful for that. Uh, my answer is, if the debate is on private property, like a private club, I believe in property rights and freedom of association. So if you want to have a debate and invite one, two, three, four, or 22 of your mayoral candidates of your choosing, and it's your private club, private everything, Bob's your uncle. Why should someone be able to force their way in? Now, if you don't invite everybody, that might be a problem if you only, you know, that's private. But if it's a public or government or government regulated system, then I think it should be equal uh, and available to anyone who complies with the law. So it, given that Faith is a lawfully registered candidate for mayor, and she tried to buy radio ad or TV ads, I forget, maybe both, um, and they said, no, we don't like you, the ad was not objectionable in itself, it was clearly a political bias, I think that is impermissible. And I understand that Faith is in fact suing in court. And she got a left-wing lawyer, which I think is very clever because Clayton Ruby is known as a hard left-wing activist. But for him to represent Faith Goldie shows it's not about her ideology. It's about her civil rights and freedom of speech. Should she be allowed to debate? Well, again, if it's a private company, private property, they should be able to exclude whoever they want. They should be able to have a mayoralty candidate only for candidates whose names start with the letters A, B, C, and D if they so choose private property. You know, it might be weird enough that no one else participates, but if it is a public forum, if it is a regulated forum, I do not believe they ought to be able to exclude people uh, for, you know, because of political distaste. I see it's 102, I've gone a little bit long. I thank you to the super chatters. I thank you to everyone else who allowed me to ramble on at quite some length to show my um, anglophilia How's that for a word? Um, for those of you who are interested, I am doing a special show tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern Time about Kanye West. I've pulled together a series of clips of Kanye West and reaction to them that I think you will find entertaining and enraging. And I'm actually pretty excited about that show. So if you want to come back tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern, now you've got to join our paywall for that, but it's eight bucks a month. What's that like? five or six quid a month, it's no big deal. So if you like this, come back at eight. If not, I will see you on the YouTube side. And until next time, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, we bestrode, we bestride the world like the British Empire. The sun never sets on the Rebel Empire. Till next time, goodbye and keep fighting for freedom.